opportunity to report back to you to tonight on at least four years of work, maybe more, uh, work that you have been involved in for 16 years now, and uh, so we've got a lot to share, and so I won't get too sidetracked onto different things, I do want to just cover a few housekeeping points before I get into the meat of the report. Uh, if you haven't put your email address on this sheet, it's going to be in the fellowship hall afterwards and put it on there. And uh, it's a lot of uh, entering, data entering here, but I'm assured from Joanne that Tim, Tim will have it done by midnight tonight. And he won't be, a, he won't be allowed to go to bed until he does. <clears throat> Since I'm mentioning the Tanix, let me thank them publicly for the wonderful hospitality they've extended to myself. They've done that on many, a time, many occasions. They've even had my son living in their home without supervision. That's quite a challenge. Another Carl in their presence. So Joanne, Tim, we love you dearly and we thank you so much for your input into our lives and to the work down under. So tonight I'm, in a sense, following in the footsteps of Paul and Barnabas there in Acts chapter 14, verse 27. When they completed their first missionary journey, they went back to Antioch and Syria they gathered the brethren together and they just simply reported on what the Lord had done through them. And so this is a report on what the Lord has done through you and through me. So we'll begin the report with Jesus, where he left off before he ascended back home. He told us to go make disciples. He told his first century audience, go make disciples of all the nations. And obviously they took that command seriously because you and I are here today on our way home to heaven. And so the gospel has gone throughout the world. I want you to note that this is the correct view, the only correct view of the world. You're probably wondering where, where you fit 7 billion people into this, but Australia's a big place and it's just across the ditch from New Zealand. So uh, this is the correct view of the world. The gospel has gone into the world. And it fulfilled Isaiah 66, verse 18 to 19, when that happened. There, beginning in the middle of that verse, Isaiah says, And they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them to the islands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And that's just a reference to the gospel and the Lord's church going throughout the world. And it has happened. So come with me to the South Pacific. That's where I want to concentrate our attention. That's where you sent me back to work. Now, was I on holiday down there or was I working? Let's find out. So <clears throat> this is the island complex of uh, uh, Solomon Islands, the archipelago of the Solomon Islands. I'll talk more about that shortly. And, of course, you know where New Zealand is. It's the most important nation closest to the Antarctic. And if you ever come down there in wintertime, you'll quickly know how close we are to the Antarctic. It's conveniently located in what they call the Roaring Forties, this band going around the world here. And you would think it would be extremely cold down there, especially in the wintertime. Well, it's not, because the tropical airflow comes down from the South Pacific and it meets the Antarctic airflow coming up and it decides at that point when it meets to drop a whole lot of rain. So if you're ever short on rain in West Texas, come down under, we'll give you tons of it. The, the record rainfall in New Zealand in one day was on the mountain behind New Plymouth, this much rain in one day. Now, can a West Texan get their mind around something like that? Probably not. <laughs> First of all, I want to talk about the Solomon Islands, and then I'll talk briefly about New Zealand. We'll go back to the Solomon Islands and then cover the work in New Zealand. So we'll proceed like that, just going back and forth. The nation of uh, the Solomon Islands, as I mentioned, is uh, Island Acapalaga, 922 islands, about 900,000 people, and growing fast. In fact, it's got the densest population of any Pacific Island group. It has a democratic government. It has uh, a lot of cronyism and corruption in its government. It seems like once the islanders who normally in their villages 
and in their islands are very honest. Once they get into power, it seems to go to their head and they start putting the money in their back pocket rather than spreading it out amongst the people. But we found that the population of this nation is very open to the gospel, but sadly is perhaps one of the most neglected nations in the world as far as the Lord's Church is concerned. And we want to talk about that more because you are starting to do something about that. New Zealand, a nation of 4.5 million people, it's about the size of the UK, which has 60 million people, so we are heavily underpopulated. So if you're thinking about retiring down under, come and see me afterwards. We'll see whether we can arrange a visa, and you'll be most welcome. The Lord's Church is growing through evangelism down under, but we also want to swell it as well. Uh, unfortunately, New Zealand is uh, becoming more and more resistant to the gospel. We're, down under, we're very highly educated, and it seems like when you have a strong secular education, there is the growth of agnosticism and atheism. But in spite of that, the brethren there keep on keeping on, sharing the gospel, and the church is growing. Hundreds of uh, people have obeyed the gospel. And uh, when I started making a report here some 16 years ago, there were about, I think, about 19 to 20 churches of Christ in New Zealand. And now there are 30. So the work is growing. And 16 years ago, I probably told you that there were probably at least uh, three, maybe four sound congregations in that brotherhood. The rest were sort of toying with liberalism, as you've seen occur over here in ACU. But now, out of about 30 congregations, I would say that 20 of them have put their feet firmly down on God's pattern for his son's church. And that is good news. So let me give you a brief history of the church in New Zealand while I'm talking about that. It uh, was planted there in 1843 out of a restoration movement in Scotland. A brother stepped ashore in Nelson, New Zealand, and he, the second Sunday he was there, he worshipped with another family according to the old Jerusalem gospel. That's how they used to describe the New Testament teaching about the church in the 19th century. That uh, gospel spread throughout the, the country. There were probably as many 20 churches of Christ at that time. But unfortunately, those congregations started to employ Christian churches from North America because the young men who came over here to go to school, Bethany College and elsewhere, decided to stay here. They never came home. So they started importing preachers to New Zealand. And as a result, they introduced the Mission Society and the instrument into worship and that was the pathway to apostasy for that early restoration movement. Back in the 19, early 1960s, uh, sound gospel preachers started coming to New Zealand and we got underway in seeing the gospel spread throughout the nation again. I was baptized in uh, 1965. And three months after being immersed into Christ, I didn't realize what that commitment in baptism fully meant, but three months later I did because I was then projected into the pulpit. So I've been, I've been preaching the gospel for 55 years, and uh, I hope it doesn't show. So the, the church has been growing since about the early 1960s, and I've been supported to be a full-time evangelist in the work down under in two located works, Wellington, the capital, where I was baptized, I worked there for 18 years, and that work became self-sufficient, self-perpetuating. And then I worked in New Plymouth, New Zealand, where Mike joined me in the work down under to help us there. And that work now is self-supporting and supporting your own preacher and self-perpetuating as well. And now I'm presently working in the lower part of the North Island, and I'm the circuit preacher there for two congregations, three congregations in the lower North Island. I'm probably the only circuit preacher in the Southern Hemisphere, and I do not use a horse. I have a car, I'll show you that later on. So this is my circuit. On Sunday morning, I live up here, just outside Palmerston North, in Wakaronga. Terry, can you pronounce that name? Yes, 
No, sir, thank you. He's, he's very humble and very wise to, to surrender on that point. I get up six o'clock in the morning and drive down here with my wife. She comes with me. We worship in the hut. And uh, when we were there in uh, five years ago, there was four members in that congregation. That's when we started our involvement in that work. And then on Sunday afternoon, we drive over the mountains here, down into Carterton, and worship there with a little embryonic congregation made up of two to three Christians. Or if the church there comes down to Wellington to worship in a larger congregation, uh, we then go home by Foxton and I preach there. So the Lord's getting his money's worth out of me on the Lord's day. I'm just like a local preacher up here. So this is a church in Foxton. And this is the church in the Hutt Valley. It's grown from uh, four members to the present size you see here. And this sister here, Bev Francis, said, go and tell those brethren, thank you for rescuing this church. And uh, this is the congregation in the assembly hall. Oops, sorry. And you see my wife here. Gary won't miss the service there. She just loves to come with me. I have to get her dressed at 6 o'clock in the morning. She's sound asleep at 6 o'clock, and I wake her up and I say, Gay, do you want to stay here in Palmerston and worship with the Palmerston brethren and with your grandbabies and family, or do you want to come with me and drive with me for four hours and worship in the hut? And she says, I'm coming. She doesn't want to get left behind. She's still got that enthusiasm to help in the Lord's work, and she still loves to sing uh, praises to the Lord every Lord's day. And the good news about the hut work is, although it's grown at a rapid rate, 15% plus per year, we're now about to get a young family to join us in the work, the Chris Rich family. They're now four in number, and they're going to be joining us in December. They have their visa, and this young man who's a friend of theirs, uh, Todd Latham, he's just got his visa too. He's still raising support, but he's planning to be there uh, early next year. And on this occasion, when this photograph was taken, it was taken in December last year, that was the car that I had and I lent it to Chris, and he went around and saw the work in the hut and got orientated in the work there a little bit. And then when he went home again, these little letters started arriving from the Ministry of Transport with my name on them, speeding tickets. He accumulated five speeding tickets. <clears throat> So, Mike and Cheryl, you're coming down under maybe next year or the year after, and I promised Mike I'd lend him a car on the condition that there'd be no speeding tickets. Let's talk now about the Solomon Island work. I just want to make these points. You're an educated audience, so I know I don't have to say a lot about the obvious things here, but this is an Acapelaga work. It's an island nation, and it brings with it tremendous challenges regarding transport and regarding time scheduling. You just do not hang your hat on a, a particular appointment you might have with someone on another island. The plane might not fly or the boat might not sail or it might sail and then break down and have to go back to port. And so there are some real challenges in this work. I'll talk more about that as we proceed, but I just want you to notice, because I'm going to be showing you photographs of uh, our work in the Southern Islands, this is the uh, Southern Islands of, Van of the Solomons, they're sort of closer to Vanuatu than they are to the Solomon Islands, to, to, to Guadalcanal, the capital, and these are the islands here, the Santa Cruz Islands, and Brother Terry came down here, how many years ago, Terry? Three and a half, he hasn't forgotten, it must have sort of blazed itself into his memory. Such was the experience. And we sailed between Nindu Island here and the reef islands up, up here, which you see, which you cannot see from Nindu when you're starting out. Just remember that because I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the experiences we had on that occasion. Now, the work there in the Solomons began earnestly in 1987. Ed Cruikshank went there, stayed in a hotel shared the gospel with some of the staff, and that was the beginning of the Lord's Church there in the Solomons. Uh, 
and uh, he's been followed up by Robert Martin and Randy English. They will go there for a week, maybe a week and a half, and just teach a school called the Pacific Bible School to sort of strengthen the church that does exist there in the faith. They haven't really gone there for any length of time. I started going there in 2010 with a brother called Chris Murray, who's an elder in the State College Boulevard Church of Christ in Anaheim, California. I'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks' time. And we have been going there for one to three months a year. Now, I've been joined in the work this year by a, a gospel preacher in Australia, Ian Coker, an excellent gospel preacher. He's just like your one here. And uh, he's joined me in the work. He's done a lot of work in India, but it's a bit far away. He's starting to get old now. He's still a young man. He's 69, so I call him the young fella. <clears throat> but he wants to work closer to home so that if something goes wrong, he can get back to a, hosp to a hospital in Australia pretty quickly. So... Uh, Ian's joined me in the work. So what's been happening in that work with our input, uh, especially in the last nine years? Well, in 2010, there were three congregations. Now there are as many as 11. In fact, there's too many congregations for me to get back and to visit when I go there for my one-month visits. And that's created a problem. We actually need more workers to come so that we can go in different directions to reach these congregations. Some of these congregations have come out of denominationalism. The whole congregation has come out of denominationalism. And we just haven't been able to get back as often as we have needed to keep grounding them in the sound words. But sometimes when you go back to visit, you know, they're, they're reverted a little bit to their denominational habits rather than their denominational doctrines. And they just need more, we just need more input into this mission field. And it's a very receptive mission field, as you can see, from this type of growth. So the growth has come about not by my going there and staying in a hotel at $200 a night, but staying in a transit house for $30 a night in Honiara. And the people are coming there to go to school or to uh, attend a conference or to visit the government department that they might be working for in an offshore island. And we get a chance to share the gospel with them in the transit house and then to uh, supply them with resources and, if possible, to visit them to the, with them to the home island and uh, to help them get the Lord's Church started in that island. And to follow up on that, we have provided them with all types of resources, DVDs, DVD players, uh, sound materials, uh, tracks, books, Bibles, reading glasses. We've got, uh, in Bangs, Texas now, we've got 900 reading glasses ready to be crated up, to be sent down under. And uh, we find people who want to study the Bible with us. We say, well, do you have a Bible? No. Do you can you read the Bible? No. So we give them both so that they can learn the gospel. And I spend about, I would say, 12 hours, maybe more, with each person before I baptize them into Christ. This is not a one-hit wonder where we just sort of teach them a few things and then baptize them and leave them. We try and ground them in the faith before we baptize them, connect them with the congregation and uh, get some sort of follow-up started with them at that time and follow up with them when we go back on secondary visits. So we've put a lot of thought into the work there and Terry can testify to that. So we'll find one person to share with. On this occasion it was Mike, uh, brother Mike here and uh, he said, all oh, my friends need to hear this too. And the next minute you've got a Bible class. And that's how the, works, the word spreads. And when the men have obeyed the gospel and they're showing steady signs of commitment, we train them in leadership. And if they're young enough, we send them to a Bible school to be trained in gospel preaching. This brother here, Brother Bartholomew, uh, was a chef in a hotel that Ed Cookshank stayed in in Honiara. When he retired, he went home to his village of uh, Lara on Lom Lom, and there's a congregation of about 40, uh, maybe 30 to 50 uh, disciples there. And now they're scattering throughout the, island, the reef islands, and they're in different villages, giving us an opportunity to go and see the Lord's church planted where they are. And so this is how the work is growing there, through leadership training, 
And this brother here, I'll talk more about him shortly, Brother uh, Alphonse Ricky May. So we have tramped through the bush, waded through the rivers, travelled on canoes. This is a Solomon Island canoe. It's sort of like you, what we would call a dinghy, but it's a lot narrower. There's room in there for two people. And when Terry and I were on the Coral Sea, on uh, one of our trips it was so rough we had to cling to each other. Ellen, I hope that doesn't, uh, you know, upset you. <laughs> we had to hold on to one another and a rope. Each had a rope, and we each clung to one another for four hours. <laughs> uh, I don't know who was most tired of that, Terry. <laughs> you can tell me afterwards. And we, we travel on these coastal boats, and I think last time I was here, I might have showed you this photograph, and I had been on this boat uh, five years ago with Chris Murray, and it almost capsized. It fell over on its side, and we looked out through that porthole there and we saw deep blue water and he said that almost we went over Rod we almost went over and he was an experienced sea captain so we now tell the brethren in the Solomon Islands never sail on the Pelican it's, it would be a better submarine than it would be a coastal boat and uh, we have to put up with a few health niggles I picked up septicemia in this arm, it was twice that size when I was admitted to the Tropical Disease Hospital in Brisbane, Australia, at the end of four weeks of being in the Solomons. I almost lost that arm. And I, I'm glad that uh, I've still got it, because I doubt with, very much whether you would support a one-armed preacher. <laughs> and uh, I had that arm in a sling for two weeks, trying to get rid of the infection. And... Uh, the worst part about that was not the sleepless nights, not the pain, not the doctors pushing and poking. Me and the worst part about that was I was in a cubicle in this hospital with five girls. That's rough. Uh, I made certain I got it you know, released as soon as possible. In fact, I fudged my recovery to get out of there to get to my son's place where I stayed for a week before I, they would let me on a plane to get back home to New Zealand. So we've had these experiences. That's what you can expect. But, uh, you know, so far I haven't picked up malaria and I haven't drowned. And so that's the picture of uh, going across the Coral Sea there, coming back from the reef islands. And that's on a calm day, Terry. That's on a calm day. When Terry and I went there, uh, I assured Alan before he left Midland to come across to the Solomon Islands that it all would be well. I sort of said, we might have some interesting experiences on the ocean. And he said, hold on a minute, my wife doesn't want me to come. And I said, oh no, no it's not going to be that bad. It's not, they won't go out in the ocean when it's bad. Well, they did. It was a calm, calm in the morning. The waves were about this high when we set, set out from this little lagoon about five o'clock in the morning, going across to this island group we couldn't see because it was below the horizon. And about 30 minutes later, the waves were half the height of this building here, and then every seventh wave in the middle of the ocean was as high as the top part of that wall there. And we would get there, we'd look up at that wave, didn't we, Terry? we think, how are we going to get up there? And the boat would go up, and they'd cut the motor out at the top, and then we would slide down the other side. So we never have to go on a roller coaster again. We had four hours of roller coaster. <clears throat> and we're very blessed. God was with us. And at the end of uh, four hours of being on that boat, and Terry was on the windward side, and all the waves were crashing over him, and the, I was hiding behind him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was pretty smart. It was just a coincidence Linda and I was on that side of the boat and I said to Terry, just as we were going into the lagoon, I said, Terry, I, I feel so bad about you, you getting all these waves. <laughs> Next time when we go back, I'll switch sides. <laughs> and he said, no, you don't. <laughs> You've got a very switched on elder here. <laughs> Hold on to him. And we've been there when brethren have died and we've been involved in preaching their funerals. Uh, I'm trying to remember this brother's... Brother Marlon was the name of this brother. He died the very day Chris and I arrived there last October. And he was just the sweetest brother you can ever meet. And 
he used to stand up after, after I'd preached there on Sunday morning and he would lead a closing prayer for half an hour. I kid you not. And I asked the brethren, is Brother Marlon, uh, does he do that all the time or is he just apologizing for my preaching and it takes half an hour? And they said, oh, no, 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 that was a short prayer. He normally prays for one hour. So do not complain about your preacher here or your long prayers in this congregation. Brother Marlon would wave his finger at you for complaining. And he'll be the one talking the most to the Lord when you get to paradise. So Brother Marlon will be waiting for you when, when you go. And on this occasion, we were at a, a village called uh, Nindu, Nungu, on the island of Nindu, and Janet Raffi here. This is her husband, Jerry, and this is a little congregation that meets in their house. Uh, her father died, and he was a leader in the village, and all life stopped for 11 days. And after about three days, they had his funeral. We bought a pig for it to honour him. And they had us preach the funeral. I preached in the building. The, it was an Anglican service. He was an Anglican, Episcopalian. And the priest would get up there and do his things, you know, his rituals. Then I stood up there and preached the gospel. And then Ian, the brother here, Ian Coker, he did the graveside service. And afterwards, all the people there who had attended said, Ooh, that was different. They were teaching the Bible. And so we've got an opportunity to go back to that village because there's now a whole lot more open hearts. However, on that occasion, and this will introduce you to a little bit of the culture there, on that occasion, because he was a leader in the village, there was 11 days of mourning and people could not sign up to do anything of significance in 11 days. So we hopped in a canoe and went to another island group so that we could be effective. And we provide them with supplies and now, actually, I've, uh, if you remind me, I'll get the projector that I've got, a micro projector. It's in the, uh, the conference room. And I'll show you in the fellowship hall this micro projector we've got with all the DVDs from the World Video Bible School program loaded onto it. And it's a self-contained unit. The battery's in the projector. And uh, there's a little, well, it's got a speaker in it. And we just can go into a village now and say, we're going to have a movie tonight. And we'll put the screen up between two coconut palm trees and we will show the gospel to the village. And we will have up to 50 to 100 people there on those occasions. Afterwards, we say, let's get our Bibles out and let's handle your questions. And you should see what happens. The whole audience erupts with questions. It's an amazing experience to have. And now we have this technology to be able to do that. In fact, one of the projectors I've got is this big. This big. It's got its own battery. It's uh, got all the DVDs loaded onto it. It's got a, a Wi-Fi speaker. And that could just about go in my top pocket. And I can take it to these offshore islands. We can only carry 16 kg on the small planes. And I'll show you uh, the problems we face in that area shortly. Now, before I move on from this slide, this is the village of Bali, or Bali, Bali High, almost like Bali High in South Pacific. Bali is the name of the village. It's the largest village on the island of Lom Lom. There the, the Lord's Church exists. There are three congregations now in the Reef Islands and two on Lom Lom. And uh, we were invited to teach in the school there by the headmaster, uh, David Delamar. And we taught on, Ian and I taught on creation, evolution, and what does the Bible teach. They've invited us back. The whole school was there for those lectures. And when you walk through a village, all these little children, and they call their children pickaninnies down under. They don't call them children. They call them pickaninnies. All these little pickaninnies will start following you as you walk through a village. They'll say, white man, white man, white man. And these little children, about uh, under two years of age, will see us coming and they'll run for cover behind their mother's legs because they've never seen a monster like that with all that white skin. And then they look at me, Mike, and they say, old man, old man. <laughs> but you know, that's a term of endearment. At least I'm taking it that way, Karen. <laughs> so we have these wonderful experiences. <clears throat> on this occasion, this was the island of uh, uh, Big Lom Lom that we were on when this occurred. And shortly after that, we were walking through the bush no, maybe before that, we were walking through the bush to get to this uh, village. 
and I saw this beautiful spider, multicolored spider, almost as big as your hand, sitting on a palm branch. And I got my camera out, and I went right up to the to the spider, and I was about to take the photograph, and there was a little piccaninny child standing there beside me, and I said, "What type of spider is this?" You know what they said? She said, "Didn't you?" That's a jumping spider. So I jumped back very quickly from that experience. I survived. That's our transport, trucks. The roads are all potholed, so they have to have uh, hardy vehicles, trucks. So that's, that was my bed for two days when Philip Marley, who was the second in control of the Melanesian Brotherhood, the Episcopalian Church, and the whole Santa Cruz Island group. We stayed with him for two days. He had me preach the gospel there to his uh, village where he lived. He gave me a title deed to land in his village where I can build a mission center or a mission house anytime I want to come back and do it. And he studied the Bible with me and he said, in three hours, right, he said, I've learnt more Bible than in a whole life of teaching theology. And so we hope one day he will obey the gospel. We're working with him to try and get him to obey the gospel. That's a luxury toilet. That's a canoe. This is Jerry Ruffy's canoe. On this occasion, when we were about to launch out into the ocean, they had been taking the trees off the hills behind the, the photograph here, and the river was very muddy, which was good news, because the crocodiles couldn't see us. And uh, <clears throat> this is Brother Jeremiah Fonard, and uh, Brother Terry helped teach him the gospel about three and a half years ago. His wife was baptized two years ago. Karen, they've... Uh, got two little piccaninnies now. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the next one that they're going to have, Terry, they're going to name them after you. The first baby they had, they named them after me. So you come second. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but Jeremiah's a pilot with Solomon Island Air, and we fly in these twin otter planes, and we land on coral airstrips. That's uh, Lata, Lata airstrip down there, yeah, on the island of Nindu. And this is Chris Murray here, my co-worker, who came with me in October last year. <clears throat> and as a result, the Lord has added to his kingdom, read the stat sheets that I've got on the information on the front table, that will tell you exactly how many souls we've reached, plus, because these souls have gone on to teach others as well. So young and old and couples and singles have obeyed the gospel. And this is the Ricky Mai family, and I'll talk more about them shortly. So, let's take a pause from the Solomon Islands. Come with me to uh, the work down under from there in New Zealand. And I guess in Australia as well. We've done work in Australia. So this is the church in New Plymouth where we worked for 20 years. And Mike came and has come and helped on three occasions, is it Mike? Now in this work? Four, four occasions. So... Uh, this has been a growing work through those years, but it had taken that time to see this work mature to the point where they were able to support their own evangelists. It just takes time. But when you do this, when you do the steady work, it sticks. The people we reach, they take the word of God into their heart and they are solid in their faith. And I was also involved before that with the work in Wellington, and the church has a meeting place downtown here. Mike's preached there too. And this congregation, which is an old photograph here, it was three times that size when we left after being there for 18 years. It's now doing work, mission work in the islands in Vanuatu. In fact, it's helping to support a preacher in a neighboring congregation in the Wellington area. And so that work has continued to be an asset in the Lord's service. Now also... Up to five years ago, I was doing campaigns for Christ, and this was the last one I did. It was an Australian campaign, and we had, on this occasion, we had uh, three Christians from America, and we had one from Singapore, and about five or six from uh, uh, Malaysia. We had a brother from Tasmania. We had brethren from Australia. We had some from New Zealand. Now, why did we have such a mixed group of disciples? Because the Lord's Church over here in the last 60 years have been involved in perhaps the greatest missionary enterprise since the day of Pentecost. 
And now the Lord's church in this age exists worldwide. And it's getting on with the work of evangelism wherever it is. And also we, we have lots of camps and lectureships. And uh, on this occasion, this was a camp in Upper Hutt in the valley where the Lower Hutt Church meets. And uh, this year my son preached on this uh, platform and I preached with him and this congregation helped educate him at Bear Valley Bible School uh, probably about, was it nine years ago? I have to be helped with the date there. Eight or nine years ago and he's an excellent gospel preacher. I heard him, I heard him preach in, uh, at Christmas time, Mike, and he preached on the message on the mount because I spend one Sunday a year in Palmerston North with my greater family. And he was preaching, and he preached a sermon on the message on the mount, and I've never heard the equal of it anywhere from any gospel preacher. It was so insightful. And so, uh, unlike his dad, who's a poor preacher, he's a good preacher. I think he, when he said to me, when he went to, to Bear Valley, he said, Dad, he said, I'm, when I graduate from Bear Valley, I'm going to go back to become a dentist again and be a self-supporting preacher because I don't want to be a poor preacher like you. And I'm still figuring out what he meant by that. So <clears throat> when you see him, ask him. And as you can see uh, from this photograph here of this uh, lectureship honouring the Bear Valley Bible School students, now that I've been teaching in that school in New Zealand now. I do about 12 weeks a year teaching in this school. On this occasion, uh, there was a gathering of the church in the Lower North Island, which is where the growth really is occurring in the Lord's Church in New Zealand. And uh, as you can see, the average age of the person here is quite young. In fact, I'm probably, there's probably three or four Christians in New Zealand who are older than me chronologically and spiritually. Only three or four. I'm one of the old men. In fact, they call me the old fossil. And I tell them, I say, put your running shoes on. We'll see who's an old fossil. And I've continued the work of doing the Don Brown uh, uh, book fund. And uh, I was with Don's widow this past weekend in Colorado City, Nelda Brown. And uh, she's still supporting that work. We've put out $55,000 worth of materials. Now everything's gone onto zip drives. And in my bag at Tim's place, I have over 300 books in that one little bag that I'll be taking back and making available to preachers and teachers in the Lord's Church in New Zealand who might not have access to those resources. We're also putting them on iPads. The Church in Bangs is hopeful of purchasing, uh, I think, about 30 iPads from the local school. And these books and the World Video Bible School materials will be loaded onto those. I'll take those and distribute those in the Solomon Islands and in New Zealand. And that's the work of the Don Brown Book Fund. And we've done that, lots of advertising. I've done TV work, newspaper articles. And from each of those outreach approaches, souls have been won. And I continue to support the Bible Lectureship, which I started in 1992 with help from uh, many disciples in New Plymouth, of course. And now the church in New Plymouth carries it on every year. And uh, hopefully Mike will be down there as the keynote speaker shortly. And this is the largest gathering of disciples in any area of the country. We can have up, in fact, I think when Mike's been there, we've had up to 350 disciples in the assembly hall in the gym. In fact, we can't use the local building because there's too many Christians there on those occasions. Unfortunately, the work, this, this work has been, uh, it's been neglected a little bit because the brethren in New Plymouth have uh, got busy with other things. And I'm trying to put a bee in their ear to promote it more. And uh, when the brethren know that Mike's coming, uh, they will make a special effort to be there, guarantee. Because they realise, Sherry, that you know, the brethren in New Plymouth need all the help they can to control this boy. And I've been blessed with uh, good tools to do the Lord's work. got a campaign van that was used in February. Tim and I worked on that campaign down under in Palmerston North. Gay's been given a car by the government. That's my weekend car. And uh, 
I've got a stand-up desk, and I've got a photocopier, all these tools that you see up here. Uh, I did have an office library that was uh, the envy of all the preachers in New Zealand. But two years ago, my daughter came home, and uh, my library got moved into banana boxes. I've had my library in 150 banana boxes for almost two years now. So I've been working on an alternative, and here it is. In two sheds out the back is my office library. I have now finished this. I will put the carpet down and move in by the end of December, no, uh, November, by the end of November. So uh, I will then have the very best gospel preachers study in the world. Eat your heart out. Now, I, I'm hopeful the Lord will give me four years of good health so I can carry on in his work down under. Sometimes I feel that we're just beginning, just begin, especially in the Solomon Islands. So what are we going to do together in the Solomon Islands and in New Zealand? Well, we're going to continue searching out and finding men to train to be gospel preachers like Brother Ricky, Ricky May here, Brother Alphonse. Uh, we're going to continue helping the brethren uh, get the resources they need, outboard motors and uh, study materials. And uh, the church in Honiara has lost this meeting place now, so we're trying to find a decent meeting place for them in the capital, Honiara. And now I'm working on building a mission centre, a mission house there in Honiara so that we can see more workers come and stay for longer and stay in a secure environment. And this is the Ricky May family in Fiji. They're coming back to the Solomon Islands at the end of November. And Stephanie sent them money on Friday for their airfare. So they're headed back to the work in the Solomon Islands. And uh, I've already raised the support for them to be able to be full-time in the work there. We want to see what will happen by training men in the, in the Solomons, getting them back into the work there, supporting them in the work so that the gospel is being preached by full-time evangelists uh, for the first time in the history of the work there. We think that will make a big difference to the growth of the kingdom. And this is the plans I've got for the mission centre. Uh, that's the the plan, the, side, the front elevation, that's the top area. There's enough room here for two mission families to live. And down under, there's space for a uh, meeting place for the Papaho Church, which meets up here on this hill. And uh, also an office storage facility and uh, classrooms or uh, bunk facilities for students who might want to come in and attend a preacher training school in this facility. The Papaho Church of Christ meets up here in this house. And uh, the family that lives up here owns this whole hill. It's called Hill 66. And your Marines gave the hill that number when they were trying to take it from the Japanese. In fact, I walk up there for exercise in the morning and I'll pick up Japanese bullets and American bullets off the road going up the hill. So now it's going to be used from which to preach the gospel. And uh, the Brethren who own this land have given the church a 50-year free lease of this corner of uh, the hill here, and that's a view. It's a million-dollar view. It's above the pollution, and it's above where the majority of the people are living, but there's, it's close enough to a whole stack of people who we can go and study the Bible with, and that will see the church on that hill grow significantly. So it's going to be used as a multi-purpose facility. In fact, my son has said he will go there and do um, dental medical relief work there. And uh, I've talked to one of the brothers in Bangs, brother uh, Dr. Charles Hall, and he's promised that he would come down under as well and help do medical mission work there from this facility. So I'm really pushing hard to get the funds together for this mission house now. And in the hut work, the rich family will be there. I hope them get settled and into the work. And this is the Hutt Valley here. It goes right up here, way up here. There's 120,000 people there. And I believe this is the most fruit, 
potentially fruitful mission field in the whole nation. It's mainly a working class area. There's lots of factories and warehouses there. And so it's not filled with intellectual snobs who don't need God. So we think this might be the best, one of the best mission outreach fields in the nation. And so I'll be working in the meantime with uh, the church in Palmerston, which is very close to being self-supporting. That's where my son lives and preaches. And Kent O'Donnell is the preacher there. And the Hutt Church, the Hutt church which is growing. And the Pororo Church, which now has its own preacher. And this preacher here is coming back to America in six months' time. So I'll be helping them out again there in this work. And that's the Foxton Church. And I'll be helping them a little bit as well. And there's my wife. She's now 66, but her health is failing. She needs help with everything. She has provided help from the government for 30 hours a week, and I look after her the rest of the time. When I'm in the Solomons, or over here, she's in a special Huntington's house called Amaryllis House. And they're very specialised and very good at looking after people with the Huntington's disease. But uh, she still loves the Lord, and you're praying for her, and I'm thankful for that. And because of her faith, because of your prayers, I think she's probably the best Huntington's patient in the whole nation. She's happy, she's non-aggressive, non-aggressive, and she loves the Lord, and uh, she's just a wonderful example to everyone. I'm trying to get to... Right. And now there's a picture of my family. It is growing... I now have five grandbabies. These are my New Zealand ones, and this is my Australian one. And uh, this was Christmas a year and a half ago, or a year and a bit ago. This is the last Christmas. And uh, we're already taking our piccaninnies, my grannies. That's what they call them in the Solomons. The grandbabies are called grannies. So I take my grannies hiking. You call it hiking, we call it tramping. And so we're having, I'm having a great time being a granddad. They call me Poppy. Not pop off, poppy. That's my um, little land plot here. That's my house. That's where Emma lives now. That used to be my office. There's my office down here. That's my herd of cows. I'm a rancher. And that's my uh, John Deere gator. That's the closest I'm going to get to it anyway. And we stay fit. On this occasion, I was up Mount Taranaki, which is about 9,000 feet high, about 25 minutes' drive from the sea. And uh, on that day, it was the day that the lectureship started, on that Friday. And I climbed it early in the morning, and got up there in the afternoon, and I was the oldest person on the summit. I was celebrating my 70th birthday. So I'm a spring chicken. (laughs) So if you come down under, I'm going to... uh, Either show you a mountain and say, would you like to climb that? And if uh, you like Tim, you say, no, let's just go tramping. This is a picture of Tim in the Orangorongas. You know, what do you think he thought of all this greenery coming from Midland in West Texas? And he had, uh, on this occasion, had survived my instructions about how to tramp safely and how to jump rivers safely. You can ask him about that later on. I won't make any more comment than that because I have to sleep at his place tonight. (laughs) So if you can't hike like Tim did, I'll take you in the bush in a four-wheel drive if you come down under and uh, we'll be able to do the Lord's work as well as enjoy God's creation. The Lord wants us to have vision for the future. The comments he made to the disciples in John 4 verse 35 are also relevant for us in the 21st century. He wants us to look, lift up our eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And he wants us, of course, Philippians 1 verse 14, to speak the word of God without fear. I think in that same chapter he tells us to to hold to the sound words of Scripture. If we can hold to it, we can certainly hold it out, can't we? And to always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our 
Toil in the Lord is not in vain. We are sowing for a crop that has eternity in view. I look forward to sharing your or answering your questions in the fellowship time that will follow in just a moment. It is your tradition, of course, to have offer an invitation here on Sunday evening, just as you do on Sunday morning. And so I, I'd like to just get you thinking about being watched. In cities around New Zealand now, we have these CVVT cameras all over the place because a nation has departed from the Word of God and so people are also departing from his moral code. And uh, everyone feels like they're being watched in the nation. But us Christians, we know we're being watched because the Hebrew writer says, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily attaches itself to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. And so we're being watched, but we also have the choice, do we not, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to watch him, and in so doing, to have a life of faith that will enable God to take us home to heaven through gospel obedience. But we notice there in verse 1 that we are to run the race. And if you're not yet a Christian tonight... You haven't yet started to run the race. You haven't yet fixed your eyes on Jesus. And you just simply need to do that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. You need to contact the blood of Jesus tonight. And the only way that we know that you can do that is revealed in Romans chapter 6 verse 3 through 5 where we're buried with Christ in baptism. And that enables God to clothe us with his Son, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. So we're in Christ, where his blood is, in his body. And you can be there tonight, you can begin the Christian race, and you can be happy that God is watching you because you are watching his Son. If you're subject to the invitation, stand with us now, and the brother who's going to lead us in the song, come forward and, and let us know how we can serve you. Blessings.